Stephen. Welcome to Live and Learn. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, you, you've been a long-time video arts friend, really. I think an advocate. You've worked with us for an awful long time. Um, we always say our guests are L&D royalty, um, but I think using a football analogy, I'm a big Newcastle fan. You're a big Ipswich Town fan. Yep. <laughs> for those people that are interested in that, probably a lot of people maybe aren't. Um, but I always, in football, there's a saying, put your medals on the table. Um, and I think we always talk about your awards you've got. Um, so I think just looking at some of the stuff, uh, L&D Team of the Year for the Training Journals Awards you won? Yep. So, yeah, we did. We won an award at the Co-op for Learning and Development Team of the Year, which yep. we were really very proud of. Um, you know, that was based on the creative work that the team did, very small budget and really high impact. So, yeah, a great, a great piece of um, work and a lovely accolade for the team there. And then also you were nominated for L&D Professional of the Year, weren't you, as well? And I was there for the awards evening then. Yes, you were indeed, <laughs> yes. And um, I was uh, very, very pleased to get a bronze award there. And I was, in, I was very happy for the winner with their, when they walked away with their gold award. Um. <laughs> <laughs> for everyone listening, he's very gracious. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great night. And again, really, uh, my team nominated me, so it was a, really nice to, for that to happen. And just, yeah, we had a bit of a good pat on the back from, from the team. And the team as well, um, uh, a couple of years before, we won an award, also a gold award for our leadership development program as well at the TJ Awards. So, Absolutely. And I think that's where um, I think your expertise with all of our listeners will be really useful. Um, we're going to focus today's episode on building a leadership program, what to do, how to do it, how to succeed. Yeah. Um, I think some of your expertise you've shared there, you're really well placed to share some of those kind of top tips. Um I guess just to start, really, um, going back to basics, so people who might be listening in who are doing it for the first time or building a program from scratch, a new role, perhaps. Um, where do you start? You've obviously built quite a few leadership programs before at the co-op, and then obviously you've obviously got your new role as well. Yeah, so at the co-op, um, we built and delivered and designed a, a leadership program. Obviously, as I said, it won a national award. But like these programs often do, you, from my opinion, you need to start with really senior buy-in yeah and um in this case it was buy-in from the ceo yeah uh, the joint ceos at the co-op and uh, making sure you've got the the support and backing from them to make this happen yeah a bit different where i am now because i'm a little bit more distant from the ceo but the same yeah. principle applies lots of work in talking to and working with the vice presidents across the business yeah and again, the original proposal for the leadership framework and um, leadership program straight into the CEO. And um, it really does make a huge difference. Right. Yep. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be a definite start point that I would suggest. Yeah, so, that, so you almost start with that before you even think about anything to do with the program itself. Or um, do you kind of map the business need first and then get the buy-in? Or what's that relationship? You know, it's like chicken egg a little bit, isn't it? Well, my current role, I've been there, I've probably been in a position for about six months and a lot of that has been time spent with heads of business and vice presidents talking about various different learning needs and doing training needs analysis. And one of the big things that came up was a lack of a consistent language to talk about okay. leadership yeah. um, and um, a lack of understanding uh, around expectations of leaders in terms of behaviours. And then just another layer on top of that, we've got a really strong set of values within the business and people wanting more information on how, as a leader, you live the values in the business. So I, I guess that was what I was hearing a lot of yeah. um, when I start to play that back to the business in terms of um, a leadership framework. It, the response was 
you know, really strong. Yeah. And what would you say that when you approach the, whether it be C-suites or uh, internal stakeholders you need to, what's been the difference between, say, typically management training, buying for that versus leadership training? Have you found that leadership training is easier or harder to get buying for? Well, I think uh, management training is often seen as like quite operational and functional. Yeah. So um, new manager and um, yeah, that dif- that differentiation, uh, uh, I suppose, between um, operational stuff and, and what the expectations are of leaders and especially how the expectation of leaders has changed and is changing, Absolutely. you know, really, really, really fast in the business. So I, I, I think that at the moment I'm finding there's a lot more buy in for, for leadership development. And um, yeah, I find that there's a real appetite for it. And a lot of leaders realize that they do have to change and lead in a very different way that we were 15, 20 years ago. I guess in terms of, we, we touched on it there. So we, I guess in terms of the business case and building that, mm-hmm. how do you kind of start? So, um, and what is good leadership to you as well? Well, I've been, um, I suppose if you, look at the leadership ex- expectations and how they've changed. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, absolutely. Leadership has been on this path to a more inclusive, more collaborative, more open, honest um, uh, leadership style for quite some time. And we certainly built our leadership program at the co-op and we're certainly building that for smartest energy as well along those lines. But I think for a while, those types of leadership behaviors have been seen as a nice to have yeah. Um, but now they're, I feel like they're demanded now by people coming into the workforce. And one thing that really sticks with me, I was on a course recently with the dean of a very prestigious business school. And she said that the students coming through um, the business school now, they don't even recognize those old bad manager behaviors. Yeah. So okay, yeah, they don't yeah. recognize them. They won't accept them. So um, in terms of being an employer that can retain people, yeah, we, we really need our leaders to be uh, more inclusive and and you know have an eye on people's well-being yes um, as well as their performance yeah and it's, a, it's a competitive market isn't out there so retaining yeah. the best people um it's a big factor in that and obviously leadership filters down to the to management and then colleagues yeah. so yeah absolutely retention is massive for us um the energy industry is really fast moving and really competitive and so we're looking at every single lever that we can pull that's going to help us you know, retain our assets, our people. And uh, leadership is one of the big levers that has a massive impact on all of that. And uh, if you look at Gallup's latest research, they say that 70% of the difference in engagement scores is determined by the behaviors of managers and leaders. Yeah. So we really, we we can really see the impact that um, leaders have on people. And it's taken us back to the the co-op, so time hopping back. You obviously won an award for L&D Team of the Year and, and also for the leadership program. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just tell us practically what that pro- what was involved in that program? Because obviously it's an award-winning one. Lots of people listening would love their own award-winning program, no doubt. Um, yep. what, what was just practically the actual program? What did it consist of? How long was it? What was in there? What, you obviously won a gold award for, the, for a reason. Um, so what was in there just for people on the outside? Yep. In a nutshell, it was a program... Uh, we, we measured it in, in quite a lot of detail. Yeah. So we, we used business key performance indicators such as retention and p- productivity and engagement. Okay. But we also surveyed all the managers in the business. And we also asked all the people how they thought their managers performed around some of those key cultural metrics like 
had did they receive enough feedback did they get coaching um were they having performance conversations um did my manager care about my well-being yeah and uh so we measured at the start in the middle and at the end so we could so we could see real you know real metrics and real movement across those those key performance indicators um so that was very useful because we had the data to, yes. to back us up. Uh, it was a program that was across all levels in the business as well. So um, from the heads of business unit, the chief execs, all the way through to our store team leaders and managers across the business. So it was a really, we really wanted to hit every level and to make it a real cultural yeah. um, piece of work um, that everyone was involved in. But the also the the involvement in managers of the managers as well. So whenever, uh, whatever manager was going through the program, they were then having follow up work with their managers to talk about how they were taking the learning, how they applied it at work, and the impact that had on their people and the business results as well. Yeah. So we tried to tie it into as many aspects of people's work as we could really, and really bring the learning into the flow of the work. I think you're quite ahead of the time then, because this is obviously six, seven years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. And obviously, <laughs> learn the flow work is the latest buzzword on LinkedIn and, and so on. Yeah. Um, what was the kind of makeup of the program as well? So I think that the data is really good and, and how you got there. Um, how much was on LMS? Yeah, I think you did lots of face-to-face. This is pre-COVID, obviously. Yes. Going back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there was some face-to-face stuff as well, which I know you did personally originally. What What do you find work well? Obviously, we had old models like seventy twenty ten, and I know you're the Yep. Clive Shepherd and so on. What was the kind of makeup on it? And, and what did you tweak that as you went or did you find that you nailed that first time? Well, we tweaked it as we went and we also had different approaches for different audiences as well. So some of the more senior people in the business, were it, the, the blend was much more towards online work. Um, so that, that's where we did use some of the video arts to get the key concepts um, yep. in, get the key concepts into people within within the business. And for some more of the junior managers, we we lent more on face to face. So for for people who were, for instance, a store manager in our retail business, in yeah. our food retail business, they would attend every module as a face to face, but as well as pre course work, which was some video arts and some other learning, and the post course follow up work with their managers as well and coaching. Yeah. So um so yeah it was a we we had a blend for every level, but the blends were were tweaked and slightly different for each set or each audience. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think stereotypically, I would have assumed the more senior, they've been brought up with classroom training. They might have preferred that than online, maybe a bias there or, or whatever. Um, so that's quite interesting, flipping yeah. that maybe, that they actually preferred that. And obviously they maybe got less time or... Yeah, it was a, a, a big driver of it was time. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so a big driver was time. And also they, they you know, it was recognizing that there were they were all starting from different levels so to give of what some people might call a sheep dip to that senior audience yes. might have been seen as um you know a waste of resource or you know so yeah so it was a it was a it was a blend and we sort of changed things as we went we had full evaluation on all of the courses and we reviewed each course and even even just you know changing the way we delivered some of the aspects of it we would review and change as we went so and yeah. was, was it like a 12-month program or how did it... Obviously, you, how long was the process if um, someone was kind of starting it and did that, if you were to do it again, would that still be the same time now, obviously, with post-COVID and, and so on? I think uh, we're, in terms of the main rollout, we um, it, it lasted about one year yeah. for those Makes for sense. those branch yeah. managers and we tended to have um, 
and it did flex slightly, but we tended to have one month to focus on one subject. So, for instance, okay. if we were focusing on coaching yep. skills for a manager, we'd have a, a month across the whole business where we were focusing on that. So the pre-learn, the face-to-face -face workshops would all happen in that month, and the follow-up work and the assessments would all, would all happen. So that was to allow time for people to embed the learning and to practice and for those manager sessions. Uh, the managers also nominated people for awards. But then I think we, once we'd done the initial um, first cohort, if you like, um, then it was a little bit more of an ongoing feast and um, it had less structure. So a new manager coming into the business could just attend the courses, you know, in their own in their own order. And what was, um, so it sounds like this 12 months program, there's probably 12 themes or modules or one a month roughly? Um, it, right? it ended up being about eight modules eight, actually. Yep. So it was probably more than just over one month between. And sometimes, you know, we have really busy periods where we yeah. wouldn't have so much training happening. Yes. So around Christmas time, there's no, we don't do any training no. in the retail business there. And um, as you find in most sectors, uh, in the energy sector, they have two months of the year where we do a massive turnaround of customers and when, yeah. when the billing periods change over. So we absolutely r relax the training there. So. Yeah, so I think it's, it's good. You've got to fill the business, so you need to map that to yeah. that as well. You can't force things. Absolutely. People need to be engaged, and part of that is having the headspace to do it as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I won't test you on all eight, but it, it, could you give us a flavour of what the <laughs> kind of eight, those themes were, just some um, of them maybe? Yeah, I mean, there there were some that were more, more functional, like time management and um, things like that, but there were quite a lot that were bigger cultural changes for us, like manager as coach, so coaching... Um, feedback, um, setting expectations and sharing vision. Um, so yeah, there were there were quite a lot of those um, back then. I'm thinking back, but surprisingly, <laughs> if we ran it back now, we'd probably have a whole module on DE and I. You know, well, that's my next question. I was going to so. say yeah. So that's obviously that was six or seven years ago. And I know in your current role at Smartest Energy, you're planning one right now. I think a leadership yes. program. Um, What's changed? So you obviously had a twelve-month program there. It was, it was blended. Mm -hmm. You you kind of split it depending on role and so on. And you had some key themes. Um, yeah. What's the same and what's different now? You're planning this one. Obviously, six or seven years on, you had an award-winning program, um, but obviously lots changed since then. Yeah. COVID, remote working, the pandemic, yep. um, ex expectations. I think and the war for talent and what people expect from their employers probably mm -hmm. changed as well. Yeah, I think so. And we're, um, we're using more external sort of benchmarking this time around and uh, to sort of future proof and looking at the future of work. So we're using quite a lot of data from Gallup this yeah. time around to look at what the, um, you know, leaning on their data and their research to say what the key competencies are now and in the future. Yeah. Uh, another thing that's different is that we are working with our, we have a DE&I manager. Yeah. So we're working with them to, when we talk about the different behaviors that we want to see. So um, you know, we think that inclusivity is, is a set of behaviours, again, that need to be displayed by managers and actually every colleague. Yeah, so we're, when we build a framework, a leadership framework, we, we want to make sure those behaviours really come through and, you know, are very, uh, front and centre of the, of the framework. So, yeah, there's a, a, a little bit of a different approach <laughs> this time. So we also, we're probably not going to have a structured programme either. So it's going to be... Um, a framework that everybody can access and then self-paced learning to work on whatever aspect that people feel that they need to work on at that point. So very much more personalised learning pathways. Yes. And is some of that, I guess, with... I mean, I'm not sure what your policy is with office versus work from home. 
as well. Maybe it, is it hard? Have you found that harder? Whereas six years ago, it was probably a given. Maybe people were in certain days, and you were as a training team, you could then you had them for that yes. available. <laughs> um, whereas obviously now, there's things are a lot more flexible. Has that yep. changed when you're building a program? Having the fact of that in, yeah, and absolutely. And we com- we have a com- a hybrid model, so yeah. um, we have the model we use at the moment is two days in the office and three days um, out, out of the office and you can choose a month to work anywhere in, in the world. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's more difficult to get people together. So that's driving us um, driving us down the route of making sure we've got a flexible approach to how people access the learning. Um, in fact, while I was at the co-op, we went through COVID and we, that's right. we took the know-how, the, the award-winning program and uh, the team turned that into a completely virtual program as well. So. Um, yeah, I've got a bit of experience and the, the work <laughs> that needs to on. go into that. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant. And I think um, in terms of, uh, I think the program that that's a really good insight in terms of what's included. And I think mm-hmm. you've already talked really nicely about metrics. And I think um, has that changed when you're assessing this program now as well? You said you have some benchmarking. There's more external benchmarking. At the co-op, you said you would have some data before, during, and after. Is that still the best way to go? Because obviously the key thing now in LND, there's a lot more focus on proving the investment and the difference is made um would you still approach it the same way or are you still in in some ways we will be approaching it in the same way for the program that we're rolling out now we are proposing that we'll have a 360 degree survey of our leadership so to get some real data on our leadership's capability and um and then we want to take the leadership framework and make that a part of ongoing performance discussions for for managers and for all colleagues. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's more about a, a, a cultural change and yeah. making that part of everyday performance. So of all those other measures, you need to have your eye on those as well. So we'll be tracking engagement, our d- diversity survey, um, and all those other key metrics that I talked about before: retention, mobility are huge for us so we'll be we'll be having close tabs on all of that and i think engagement's always an interesting one is it some people it's it clicks on lms on a course it's engagement surveys what, what do you think the best way to track engagement is because i think it's um it can be quite woolly sometimes we need to say engagement it's it's quite um it's a really broad. interesting question so um and uh, i'm by no means an expert in employee engagement but we um, we we survey regularly, quarterly. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, I think that that's that you get a much better pulse, uh, a much better idea of yep. engagement that way, um, than just doing it as a yearly thing. But like any of these things, it's not really how you survey, but what managers do of the data. So, uh, for us, I think it's whether it's the D and I or the engagement survey, it's how managers take that, how they. Um, how they apply what they know as leaders and those leadership behaviours and how that can have a, an impact on engagement. So yeah, I think uh, something I want to touch on before we came on air, we were doing our dry runs and yeah. uh, we don't just throw this stuff together, everybody. Um, <laughs> I, I guess um, what I was interested to pick up on, there's a lot of lots of change in leadership um, since the principles and so on. The co-op, you had 4,000 colleagues. Yep. It's quite a big business, but UK business. You had lots of internal sub businesses i guess if you've t- touched on yeah where you are now there's about 600 employees is that right yeah um, that's so right growing fast though yes yeah. growing fast but i think interesting that's it's a lot more global yes and scalable in some ways but less headcamp so when you're designing a program what would your advice be to someone who maybe is exactly what you've done they've been in a uk role 
they've not took a global role on. Mm-hmm. How do you think that changes when you're planning a, a program and what complexities or things, that lessons learned do you have in there for that? Um, yeah, that's a really good question as well. And um, a lot of the things are the same, I, I guess, but just on a global scale. So in terms of the development of the of our new leadership framework, we'll be running a number of workshops. So um, not just in the UK, but across the US, across Australia, or across those work groups, and not just leaders either. The workshops are designed to be uh, a cross-section of different levels and different groups. So as well as the leadership, we'll be talking to different colleagues at different levels in all of the locations as well. Um, and that includes like cross co- cross company work groups, working groups. So our wellbeing group will be one of the groups that we go out and do a workshop with and our high potentials. So we want to feel, we want people to feel like there's this new leadership framework, but there's a voice from the whole business in yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and so we get our, a true reflection of our language and our values when we start to talk about what's expected. And, and I, some, I've always worked on the supplier side, I found interesting when you've mm-hmm. got a global program, how do you get the balance between having a standardized program, but do you cater some of it for different languages or um, locations, but you want things to be consistent? So how do you get that balance right sometimes? It's, it's tricky, I'm guessing, being in your shoes. Yeah, and we'll be leaning on the local managers to really to do that. Yeah. So the actual framework will be as vanilla as we can have it yeah. in terms of culturally and across yes, the different okay. regions. But we, we actually want to have a consistent approach to leadership. So we, we do want you know leaders in the US to be Act talking the same, the same language, yeah. displaying the same behaviors and actually you know not to be clones of each other, but we want to increase global mobility and have people able to rotate and yeah. that's easier if they're going to get a consistent experience yes, when yes. they arrive. Actually, if they move from one department to the other in London or Ipswich or... There should or, be some values, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, if they end up in Australia, you don't want them to feel like they've moved to a different company. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, so we want to try and actually get that uh, feeling of the smartest language and values across across all of the regions if we can. But look, so local managers are your kind of champions, do you think, to, I guess, connect those two things? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So when we roll out the framework, there'll be a series of workshops as well for managers on how they, you know, how they use it, how they can talk to the people, how they can talk about the benefits of it and why we've done it. So, um, yeah. And I think the last question I had on the, on the program itself is, um, again, with the two companies you've had, um, just getting that buy-in, I think we touched on it at, at the start. Um, at the co-op, you reported straight to the chief exec or two chief execs. You had, yeah. I guess, buy-in. We had direct- several, yeah. <laughs> you had, um, you had, you've had a direct dial in the C-suite, I yeah. guess the current role is slightly different. Um, so I guess, how does it, in terms of you, you've done your training needs analysis, you've agree, they agree they need a, a leadership program. How do you kind of pitch that to them in terms of this is what we need and this is how we do it and I need X amount of money to make it happen. Have you found any pushback? Have you had to overcome that in those two, two roles? I think um, in the two different locations. So at the COP, yes, I was reporting directly into the CEO. So I was working with them on our learning strategy and our leadership strategy every day. So uh, as the idea evolved and we spoke together to the business about what we needed to do, that was, that was um, yeah, we didn't really get that much pushback again. The main pushback was around time. And, time, you know, yeah. um, I don't think anyone can argue with increasing leadership skills across a no. business and making sure that our people feel like they're, you know, they, they're getting the right type of leadership. And actually, I haven't really had a great deal of pushback in in my new role either. Even though I, I don't report into our um, global CEO, 
Um, but I've just come out of the back of presenting to our global exco and our global, um, our UK exco as well. And, um, you know, having that initial pre-wire with the CEO and having the buy-in really helped in those meetings. Yes. Um, to, to get the green light for, for these types of things. Um, I do, however, think that it, at the end of the day, everyone will get behind this, but it will be how do we do it in a time-efficient manner and without it feeling like a drag Yes. people's day-to-day -day work yeah so that's the key message you probably got for people yeah 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 that's the main pushback that's interesting yeah it's just a challenge really because you know you could do with, with things like this you could run days of workshops but you've got to find how you can really land it with the right impact with the uh, the right impact production and 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 delivery wise but without the impact on people's time <laughs> so no so i think there's some really good advice there for people building a leadership program we've covered lots of things there lots of challenges um uh, what would your live and learn tip be for leadership program? If you were to go back in time, what would be like a key learning that you would pass on? That, uh, maybe a mistake you've made or a funny anecdote, uh, anything, anything. <laughs> um, well, as a, there's probably quite a few little tips. I think that you can just get fed up of hearing yourself talk about it um, because you're just going on about it to so many people. But I don't underestimate the amount that you do need to talk about it. It's um, uh, so I, I, I constantly saying to my team god am i just going on about this the whole time this and, and they're like no no because each interaction with other people they're hearing it for the first time so i'd say you know get out there and talk to people do that pre-wire engage people with it get the feedback and include people's ideas and thoughts along the way is is massive and um yeah that might be my tip even when you're sick of hearing about it Still um, going just about carry it. on, yes. <laughs> That's my personal life, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, now, Stephen, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate you coming on the show yeah. and sharing your expertise. Yeah, it's been sure a pleasure. Everyone will, I think, take a lo loads from that. And uh, yeah, thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you.